We started this series last Sunday, just around the corner, because as a pastor, I often run into people who are dealing with a lot of struggles in their life, and they feel like giving up. They, they feel like that there's just no hope to turn things around. Uh, sometimes I deal with people who are just really struggling financially, and they don't know how to, to get out of this hole that they found themselves in. And so I encourage them, no, what you're looking for is just around the corner. Don't give up yet. In fact, there's a plan that we can use to help you. And we call it uh, Financial Peace University. It's by Dave Ramsey. And so we talked about this last Sunday. And over 30 of you have signed up for that tonight. And uh, there's still room for you if you'd like to come. And so we're excited to help you find what you're looking for. And then, of course, sometimes I find people who are struggling with what does it mean to live God's purpose for my life? What does that mean practically every day of my life? And so next week, I want to talk to you about God's purpose for your life and finding freedom to be all that God saved you to be. But today I want to talk about a subject that's not as easy to really get your arms around, and it's finding freedom to forgive people who have hurt you. I remember hearing the story of an old country farmer and his wife. They were on their way to town, and they were in their wagon being pulled by a mule. And that mule just stopped dead in its tracks on that dirt road. And the old farmer said to the mule, that's one. And then eventually the mule began to pull the wagon again, but just a little ways down the road, he stopped a second time. And the farmer said, that's two. The mule started again, but wouldn't you know it, the third time the mule stopped. And the old farmer said, that's three. Eventually he got the mule to go again, but it stopped a fourth time. This time the farmer didn't say a word. He got off the wagon, walked in front of that mule, and just punched it right in the snout. Got back up on the wagon, and off they started towards town again. And his wife said, I can't believe you just did that. That's animal cruelty. Why would you do that? He said, that's one. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, we reach a limit, don't we? <laughs> Where we think, how often do I have to forgive people who have hurt me? How often do I have to forgive someone who's offended me? And I wish this was a message in just theory. And by the way, I do not advocate physical violence whatsoever. I just want to, th that was a joke. You get that, don't you? Um, I don't want to get any emails this week. But we still face problems where people hurt us. And it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when it's going to happen and who's going to do it. And how can we find it within us to forgive people, especially if it's not just one time that they've hurt us? What, what about when they repeatedly hurt us? Are we obligated to keep on forgiving? And this is a real tension that all of us have to live with. Because you're not going to get out of this life unscathed. You're going to be hurt by people. People are going to do you wrong. And as a follower of Jesus, we instinctively know that we are to forgive. But we find it difficult. And this is difficult to forgive because often the people that hurt us aren't just people who are way out there in our lives that we really aren't that close to. Often it's people we are close to that can do the most hurt. It was in his book, Untwisting Twisted Relationships, when William Backus wrote, Though we expect from our relationships the sweetest moments life can offer, the brutal fact is that what parents, spouses, sweethearts, friends, and neighbors say and do can cause a large share of life's miseries. And that's true. And so how do we find freedom to forgive? Of course, it was that great theologian C.S. Lewis who said, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. 
Forgiveness is a lovely idea, a lovely topic, until it's me needing to forgive someone who has hurt me. Then it's not so easy. But I want to take you to the Gospel of Matthew today, and I want us to learn from Jesus how we can find freedom to forgive people who have hurt us. We're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, beginning with verse 21. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version today. You may have a different translation. So what I'm going to do is I'll put the words up on the screen as well to make it easier for you to follow along with me. But in Matthew, chapter 18, Jesus has been talking to his followers and would-be followers among other things, about forgiveness and reconciling relationships and what do you do when a brother uh, or a close friend has hurt you. And so in the midst of Jesus' sermon, the Apostle Peter, that we now call him the Apostle Peter, then he's just one of the 12 followers of Jesus, he interrupts Jesus with a question. Peter wants to know when can he stop counting one, two, three... When can he reach the limit that he no longer has to forgive a person and now he can retaliate? And so he interrupts Jesus with this question. And I find it instructive because just as Peter struggled to know how to forgive, how often to forgive, what really is forgiveness, how often should I forgive, that we too struggle with those same questions. And so I think it would be very helpful for us to see what Jesus said to Peter. Because what Jesus says to Peter, he really says to the whole crowd. And he says to us today as well. And I want to give a little caveat here. There's no way that in a 30-minute sermon, okay, 40-minute sermon, that I'll be able to answer all of your questions about forgiveness. Because instinctively, you're going to hear me preach, and you're going to read these words, and then you're going to say, but what about this? And But what about that? And you don't know my scenario. And I understand that. I'm going to try to answer as many questions as I can. But this topic of forgiveness is much easier to preach than to practice. And it is a tension that we must always manage in our lives to find ourselves being like Jesus wants us to be, as he describes here in Matthew chapter 18. Look at verse 21. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Peter's wanting to know, how, how often? Isn't there a limit to my forgiveness? Isn't there a point where I can say, that's enough? And then, wait, not waiting on an answer, Peter supplies his own answer. Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Hey, Jesus, how about this? How about we all just agree that seven is the number? That we want to be magnanimous, we want to be known as forgiving people, and we're going to say seven times to forgive a person is enough. After that, you're free to retaliate. After that, you're free to do what you want to do. Now, maybe Peter assumed Jesus would say, Wow, man, you are so big-hearted. Seven times? That's awesome. Because after all, in Peter's day, the rabbis would teach that you would forgive a person three times. After that, you were not necessarily obligated to forgive them anymore. And so Peter's thinking, three strikes and you're out? i tell you what I'll do. I'll double that, add one. Surely that will be impressive to Jesus. 
And before we come down on Peter, because most of us in this room have read this story before, we know how Jesus is going to respond. Let's don't look down our nose at Peter. Well, seven times. Most of us in this room have trouble forgiving someone once or even twice. And so at least Peter was saying, I know there's a tension here. I want to be forgiving. I want to try to stretch and be all that I need to be. How about this? Seven times my brother gets to sin against me, and I have to forgive him. But after that, I don't have to forgive him anymore. Here's how Jesus responded. Verse 22. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now that sound you heard was Peter's jaw hitting the floor. Like, what? Now, this is a, a notoriously difficult sentence to translate in the Greek when it comes to the numbers here. Many Bible scholars uh, go back and forth. Is Jesus saying in the Greek in which the gospel is written, is he saying 77 times? Because that's a big number. It's sure a whole lot more than Peter's seven times. And in Peter's mind, if Jesus is saying, no, no, not seven, 77 times, then what Jesus is saying to Peter is you keep on forgiving and keep on forgiving and keep on forgiving. Many other Bible scholars believe, and I'm not a Bible scholar, but I lean on this side, is that really the Greek should be translated 70 times 7. If you do your math, that's 490 times. So if that's the case, then Jesus is saying, no, Peter, I don't say to you forgive 7 times. I say to you forgive 490 times. Now, there again, whether you think it's 77 or 7 times 70, don't miss the point here. The point Jesus is making is not do your math and then there's a finite number that you can reach and then you don't have to forgive anymore. Jesus is giving such an extreme number of times you've got to forgive someone that you finally realize forgiveness is unlimited. That I'm to keep on forgiving Forgiving is to be a habit of my life. Because listen, if you forgive a person 76 times, by the 77th time, you're in the habit of forgiving. If you forgive someone 489 times, by 490, you're in the habit of forgiving. And chances are you've already forgotten what number you're on. You're just continuing to forgive that person. And that is the point that Jesus is making. Forgiveness is to be unlimited. Peter, this is not about arithmetic. This is about forgiving people who have wronged you without counting, without keeping a list, without looking for a number, without looking for fine print. Now, to illustrate the point that forgiveness is unlimited, Jesus goes on and he tells a story. He tells a parable in which he compares the fictional king and his kingdom of the story with God and his kingdom. God is the king, we are the servants, the subjects. And so Jesus tells a story to illustrate that forgiveness is to be unlimited. Verse 23, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he, brought, when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. So Jesus tells this story. This great king wants to settle accounts. So he tells the CPA, I want you to make a list of all the people who owe me money, and I want you to bring them before me. 
And so all the people who owe money are brought before the king. This one particular man is standing before the king. The king asks the CPA, how much does this guy owe? CPA looks through the ledger. Uh, your, your highness, he owes you 10,000 talents. Now, in American economy, we're at dollars and cents. We don't know much about the monetary equivalence of that day, 10,000 talents. But to make it easier to understand, historians say a person, a man, could work in the first century in, in, in Judaism. He could work his whole life and maybe hope to earn 10 talents. Maybe. If he does well. So for this guy to owe the king 10,000 talents, Jesus is using an extreme amount of money to say he owes so much, there's no way he's ever going to be able to pay the king back. No way. It'd be like you today owing $25 million. You say, there is no way if I had 1,000 lifetimes, I can repay $25 million on my income. It's not going to happen. And now you know how this guy feels. He owes the king an extraordinary amount of money. And it says in verse 24 that he owes the 10,000 talents. Verse 25, and since he could not pay. Notice that, he could not pay. His master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. He is saying, okay, I'll never get that back from you. You can't pay me back. So let's just cut our losses and get what we can. So he tells his servants, I want you to throw him in prison and sell him into the debtor's prison where he's going to have to work the rest of his life to try to pay off this debt. Sell his wife, put her in debtor's prison. Sell the kids, put them in debtor's prison. The whole family's going to have to work to pay me back. Sell all their possessions. We'll never get the $25 million, but at least we'll get something, which is better than nothing. And this is a terrible place to be if you're the guy that owes 10,000 talents. And it's Jesus' way of using an earthly story to present a spiritual truth. God is the king. We are the servants. And as sinners, we owe God a debt we could never repay. As sinners, we have rebelled against God. We have not done what God has always told us to do. We have sinned. And because of our sin, we are indebted to God. We understand what that concept means in our culture today. We say that someone offends us, well, they owe me an apology. Or someone breaks the laws of our land, we say they must pay their debt to society. And as sinners, we are indebted to God for every sin we've committed. And listen, you can't... Uh, you can't even fathom the debt we owe God. Our sin is an infinite affront to his infinite holiness and righteousness. It's one of the reasons Jesus talked about debt whenever he taught us how to pray. We pray, Father, forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. He wasn't talking about financial debts. He's talking about spiritual debts. Forgiveness. But the sad truth is, as sinners, we owe God a debt we could never repay. If we had a thousand lifetimes, we could never repay God for the sin debt we owe him. Because even in a thousand lifetimes, we're never going to be perfect, and we can never pay him back. That is bad news indeed. Look at verse 26. So the servant 
fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. This guy knows he's in desperate straits and so he, he just falls to his knees and begins begging the king for mercy. And he even makes this outlandish promise, I'll pay you back everything. Knowing good and well, he's, at, he's making a promise he could never keep. And as sinners, we often feel that way, don't we? When we realize that we've sinned against God. And we say, oh God, I'm so sorry. There's nothing I, I can do now. But I, I'll try. I'll try to pay you back. Let me try to do better. Let me try to work harder. I'll, I'll be more religious. I'll, I'll, I'll do anything I can to pay you back for the wrong I've done. Knowing good and well, we're making promises we cannot keep. But notice verse 27. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. I don't know if you write in your Bible, but if you do, you may want to underline or highlight three words in verse 27. The first word is pity. Out of pity, the king is moved to action. He doesn't do what he's about to do because this man deserves it. He's going to do what he's about to do for this servant out of sheer pity for this man. Another word for pity is compassion. Another word for pity is mercy. Another word for pity is kindness. Another word for pity is grace. Unmerited favor. Out of unmerited favor, grace, pity, compassion, kindness, the king of this servant released him. That's the second word you might want to underline in that verse. Underline the word pity and underline the word released. Sir, you're free to go. Servants or, or soldiers, take the shackles off of him. Sir, you are free to go. I release you. But he doesn't just have pity on him and release him. He does something else. It says he released him and forgave him the debt. That's the third word you might want to underline. Forgave. Because if he had only released him back out into his life with that insurmountable debt over him, that's not freedom at all. But not only did he release him, he forgave him. He not only says, soldiers, take those chains off of him, unfetter him. He is free to go. He also said to the CPA, Strike through the debt, cancel the debt, erase the debt. He owes me nothing now. Sir, I release you, I forgive you of all that you owe me. And Dear friend, that is Jesus' way of saying not only as sinners do we owe God a debt we could never repay, but God paid a debt he did not owe. Through his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus is literally saying to Peter, Peter, don't you realize you're a sinner? Talking about forgiving sinners. But God, your Father, has forgiven you of every sin because you've put your faith in me. You've chosen to trust me and to become one of my followers as your Lord and your Savior. Don't you realize you could never have repaid your debt that you owed to God because of your sin? And don't you realize that God is going to pay a debt he doesn't owe? And that should be the first thought in your mind when you start talking about forgiving or not forgiving other people. The first thought you should have is how God has forgiven me. 
Have you ever had somebody forgive a debt for you? You wish. Anybody say, I'll sign up for that. Where can I sign up for that class? I was born on November 25th, 1967. I was born a month early. I was supposed to be born on December 25th. I think God said, "Mm, I don't think so. And so I I came a month early on November 25th. And I weighed four pounds and nine ounces. Now, I don't remember any of this. I was born at a very early age, and so I don't have (laughs) memories of this. But my mother has often recounted how that, you know, for uh, three weeks, I had to stay in the neonatal intensive care and in the incubator, and they would check on me multiple times a day. And has he gained an ounce? Has he lost an ounce? Where is he? And... uh, for the first uh, few days, they, could, they couldn't hold me. She said, we could only see you through the glass incubator. But the, finally, the day came where they were able to take me home. And it, she said it was a bittersweet day. We're so happy to take our, our baby home, but also very afraid because the hospital bills had mounted and mounted. And at this point, my parents uh, did not have very much to their name. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. Um, my dad, just out of the Army, was in his field now in the construction industry and I don't even think they had a car I don't even think they owned a car at the time and they were just worried how are we gonna pay this hospital bill and as they're going out my mom stopped one of the little nuns at this Catholic hospital Providence Hospital in Mobile Alabama and she said uh, we need to go to the finance office we just we're gonna have to please ask will you work with us we don't know how we're ever gonna pay the hospital bill but, but we'll do everything we can. Can we just set up some arrangement that we could pay a little at a time? And she said, the little nun put her hand on my mom's hand and said, Oh, sweetheart, don't you know it's all been paid? Just go home. Enjoy your baby. And she said, you don't know how that felt to have that bill paid for. You know what the hospital did? What the hospital did is they canceled the debt by just incurring that debt themselves. You see, whenever God forgives us of our sin, it's free to us, but it costs God everything. He gave his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ, God in flesh, to take our punishment that we deserve. And when Jesus is dying on the cross, he's paying the debt that he didn't owe for each one of us because we owed a debt we could never pay. And God the Father can both be holy and righteous and demand payment for his debt because the wages of sin is death, according to Romans chapter 6, verse 23. But he can also be a gracious God, forgiving all who will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So God can be both holy and righteous and just, But he can also be merciful and forgiving by taking the debt on himself. When this king sent the servant out, the king was just saying, I will eat that debt. I will incur that cost. I will pay that price. His forgiveness is free to him, but it will cost me everything he owed. God paid a debt he didn't owe for you and for me. And my first thought when it comes to whether I should forgive you or not is not what you've done to me, but what I've done to God and how he has been willing to forgive me out of mercy and out of pity. I wonder if this guy learned his lesson. Now that he's free, he's walking out of the king's palace, he's singing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. 
Verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. This would be like ten bucks. So he just owes him a measly amount. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. By the way, verse 29 sounds very similar to verse 26. The same thing the first servant said to the king is now what the second servant is saying to the first servant. Have mercy on me. Have pity on me. I will pay you everything back. Now, now think about this. You're, you're thinking, how could he do that? How could he just go and grab that guy by the neck and start choking him and say, you owe me ten bucks, dude. I want my money. And I want it now. And the guy starts pleading for mercy. And does the servant who has been forgiven so much, does he offer pity? Verse 30. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. You're going, I can't believe this. How could this guy do that after having been given so much forgiveness to not be willing to give a little forgiveness to someone else? He's just been given forgiveness over a mountain of debt he owed and he won't even forgive a molehill of debt owed to him? You see, if you're pushing back on this guy's response after having been forgiven, then it's because you instinctively know there's something wrong with wanting to be forgiven but not be willing to extend forgiveness to others. You know it is wrong to want God to forgive you while you refuse to forgive others. There is something wrong with that picture. And that's the point Jesus is trying to illustrate in his story. That it is wrong for me, it is hypocritical, it is ungodly, it is wicked for me to want God to forgive me of my sins against Him while I refuse to forgive you of your sins against me. I'm not making light of our sins against one another, but I will say, compared to our sin against God, our sins against a holy perfect, righteous God who is our creator, our redeemer, our sustainer, our comforter who gives us our very life and breath. Our sin against Him is as a mountain compared to our sins against each other. They're like molehills. As bad as they are, they're still sinners sinning against sinners. And if God forgives me, he expects me to return that forgiveness to others. It's hypocritical to do otherwise. And the sad part about this guy is not only was he unwilling to forgive, he was unwilling to forgive in public. People found him out. Look at verse 31. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? That's a rhetorical question. The answer is yes. Verse 34, And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers. Maybe your translation reads the tormentors. Until he should pay all his debt. And Jesus gives this warning as he closes out his sermon. 
so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. I think Jesus is trying to tell us something. That we know it is wrong to want God to forgive us while we refuse to forgive others. Jesus is wanting us to see that when we refuse to forgive others, we're only hurting ourselves. This man is caught in his hypocritical stance of unforgiveness. And he's turned back over to the jailers, the tormentors. And he only hurt himself by refusing to forgive his brother. This is not a parable of salvation. This is a parable of interpersonal relationships in the kingdom of God. Remember Jesus saying, the kingdom of heaven, this is what it's like. And as we treat each other with unforgiveness, we're only hurting ourselves. God turns us over to the tormentors of bitterness, of sleepless nights, of a guilty conscience, of uncontrolled anger. A loss of peace where we constantly dwell and bring up in our minds what that person did to us and how they hurt us. And we only hurt ourselves when we refuse to forgive someone else. It was one lady who who said that she had been hurt by someone so grievously that she struggled with bitterness. Until finally she came to the peace that she was able to forgive that person. Not to make light of what they had done, but she realized I'm just holding on to this. They're living their life while I'm the one struggling. And so she said to not forgive someone is like drinking rat poison, expecting the rat to die. It doesn't work that way. You're just hurting yourself. Now, I know that this is the call that Jesus gives us, is that forgiven people forgive people. People who have been forgiven by God are to forgive others. And to forgive means to cancel the debt. That's literally what it means. It means to release someone. And you don't do it because they deserve it. You do it because that's how God has treated you. That in response to God's pity on you, God's mercy and grace on you, you want to be found showing it to others as well. Forgiven people forgive people. Now, I know there are a million questions that maybe come up in your mind as I say that. And I know this message is not going to be able to answer all those questions. There are three that I sometimes hear that I thought I'd touch on this morning. One is people say, well, I can forgive, but I can't forget. And and I agree with that. Because often we say, you know, forgive and forget. And where we get that from is from the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, verse 34. It's also quoted in the book of Hebrews But in Jeremiah 31, verse 34, God himself says, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. I'll forgive their iniquity and I will forgive and I will remember their sin no more. And so we say, you know, you need to forgive and forget. And people say, I can't forget. How can I ever forget how they hurt me? How can I forget how they made me feel in front of my family? How can I ever forget the harm they brought into my life? And I think we struggle with this because we misunderstand what God means when he says he forgets. God's omniscient. That's a fancy theological term. It's just really two words put together. Omni, which means all, and science, which means knowledge. Omniscience means God is all-knowing. There's nothing God doesn't know. You'll never hear God say to an angel, "Ah, I didn't know that. 
Never. God knows everything. Past, present, future. God knows every eventuality, every possibility, every reality. God is omniscient. So how then can God be both omniscient and forget our sins? Well, the key is when he says, I will remember their sins no more. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It is a choice to not keep bringing it up. God knows everything I've ever done wrong in my life. That's why I love him so much. His grace is so magnanimous. But he chooses not to remember it, not to hold it against me, not to keep bringing it up, not to rub my nose in it. And whenever you forgive, it's not that you'll ever forget. It's that you choose not to keep bringing it up, not to keep going over it again, not to hold it over the person's head, not to constantly seek them to pay you back and to make things right. You release them. You choose to forget. You choose to move on with your life. And that's what it means. It was the, the founder of the American Red Cross, Clara, who said she was hurt by someone and it hurt her for a long time how they mistreated her, but she eventually forgave. She was with another friend and they were to a social event and they saw the other person and her friend said, there she is. You remember what she did to you? She says, no. What do you mean, no? You remember what they did to you. And Clara said, no, I distinctly remember forgetting that. And I think whenever those thoughts come back, we have to say, I distinctly remember forgetting that. I'm letting go of that. Then there's another question. People say, I, I, can, I can't forgive because they won't admit they're wrong. If they ever admit they're wrong, I'll forgive them. But I can't forgive them because they won't admit they're wrong. I think it might be helpful to remember that Jesus, nailed to a bloody cross by Roman soldiers, cries out these words in Luke 23, verse 34. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to see who would take home his garments. Jesus chose to forgive those Roman soldiers, even though they didn't ask for forgiveness. And if you wait until someone asks you for forgiveness, you may be waiting forever, holding unforgiveness in your heart. That person may have died. That person may be so callous to you, they could care less how you feel. They're never going to admit it. They're never going to come clean with you. And you're only hurting yourself. To forgive means you go ahead and take the initiative to release them. You release them to God. You release them to the life they've chosen to live. You release them to whatever consequences may come, but you don't hold that against them, and you don't seek revenge and retaliation. And then a third question people ask is, is, is forgiveness the same as reconciliation? Are you telling me that I've got to forgive this person and let them back into my life? Not necessarily. Forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. The ideal is that we can seek forgiveness and reconciliation. Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew 18, the verses we didn't have time to read this morning, Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, go to him alone, confront your brother with the sin, and seek to restore that relationship. And if that happens, wonderful. But sometimes reconciliation is not possible. In fact, the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. 
Do you hear that? If possible, as much as depends on you, live at peace with other people. But sometimes it's not possible because they won't let it happen. And sometimes reconciliation is not possible because it is not healthy or it is not safe. You can forgive someone who has abused you. That doesn't mean you need to go back and be abused more. You can forgive the person who hurt you, but that doesn't mean you have to put yourself in a position that they will keep on hurting you. It means you release them, but you may not be reconciled to them. Some spouses may forgive an unfaithful spouse, but the marriage may not survive. I know of a person who was sexually abused as a child. And she said, I have forgiven my abuser, but I could never have a relationship with that person ever again. And I agree with her. And let me also say that when it comes to those types of sin, where someone is being harmed and they're breaking the law, you and I can personally forgive, but that does not release them from the consequences of their actions. In the same moment you say, I forgive, you need to pick up the phone and call the police. You cannot allow an abuser to continue abusing. That is not forgiveness. That is enablement. And other people will be harmed as a result of that. That is why it was possible for those family members to go into that courtroom or that judge's chamber from Mother Emanuel AME Church after their loved ones had been murdered in cold blood in a church basement and they say to him I forgive you but that did not release him from facing the consequences of his actions and one of the things that I believe is a stench in the nostrils of a holy God is how churches whether they're Catholic or Protestant or any other organization, whether it's politicians or movie stars, have allowed abuse to go unchecked and unreported and swept under the rug. That is ungodly. That's not forgiveness. That is enablement. So I could personally and should personally forgive a person who's hurt me. But if they have done something wrong, they must face the consequences because the same God who calls me to forgive in Romans chapter 13 said he also gave government to protect good people and to punish evil people. So there's a difference between personal and judicial consequences and forgiveness. Does that make sense? What a sour note to end this message on. <laughs> but I thought that would be important for me to throw out there just so you know that thank the Lord this church has never had to deal with anything like that. But now you know how we would deal with it. We will deal with it biblically and legally to the full extent that we have the capacity to. And God forbid that day would ever come. Here's how I want to end the sermon today, though. You know what you need to do? If forgiven people forgive people, the best thing you and I can do is think less of the people who we need to forgive. Think of them less often and think more often of the one who has forgiven us, the Lord Jesus. If we just walk out of here thinking about this person, and yeah, but they and this one, we're going to be miserable. Because we can't be like this. We need God's grace. 
We need Jesus to live his life through us. Jesus, be Jesus in me. That's what we need. There's an old hymn that we sometimes sing at our church. It says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You and I need to leave this place today saying, Father, I can't live like this. I can't forgive like that. I can't be that big hearted. But I'm going to look to Jesus. And I ask Jesus, work in me. Love through me. And give me the strength I need to be like this. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in the stillness of this moment, we thank you for your word. We know this is an easy subject to talk about. It's hard to practice. Father, there's some folks in this room who are able to forgive, but they're still hurting. God, I hope that I have not minimized their hurt. In fact, I hope they'll process that hurt and not bury it and ignore it. Maybe they'll find a friend or a counselor, even our pastoral counselor here, to just be able to talk through the hurt, even as they forgive. Father, there, there are also each one of us in this room who say, God, I can't do this. Only you can do this through me. And so I yield my life and my heart and my emotions to you. And I focus more on Jesus and his love and his grace and his mercy and his kindness and his forgiveness shown to me. And I want that to show through me. So, Father, help me to forgive. And God, there could be someone in this room today who realizes for the first time in their life that they've never received Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. They're not even a part of the kingdom of heaven because they have never trusted Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. I pray that right now in the stillness of this moment, they would say yes to you, Jesus. Yes, Jesus, I believe you're God's son. I believe you died on the cross. I confess I'm a sinner. Thank you for dying for me on the cross. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin as I trust in you. Thank you that you release me and I'm forgiven all because of you. Help me now to live for you. So, Father, if there's someone in this room who's received Christ today for the first time, let them come and tell me at the back door at the Next Step area or come tell one of our guest services folks today I've received Jesus. And God will be so happy to rejoice with them. In fact, God, if there's someone that needs to take any next step to be baptized or have someone to pray for them or to join a life group, whatever it is you'd have them to do, let them take that next step, either at the back at the next step area or on our website at fcbc.life. Have your perfect will and way in our hearts today because we know forgiven people forgive people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.